we, humanity, have a habit of trying to avoid or get rid of things that make us uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable when people get into name-calling arguments on my personal Facebook page. I sometimes engage in the practice of deleting my entire original post, including all the comments below, without regret. Some are uncomfortable with climate change science and engage in the practice of denial. Some are uncomfortable with people who have different viewpoints and engage in the online practice of blocking or hiding that person from their profile. Some are uncomfortable with keepsakes from their past and engage in the practice of throwing it all away. Us white folk are uncomfortable with being called out on our racism and engage in the practice of defending or trying to explain away our words and actions. We're uncomfortable when a loved one is self-destructive and sometimes engage in the practice of ignoring all the signs and symptoms of their destructive behavior. Today's scripture is kind of about all of these things, about deleting, denying, blocking, hiding, throwing away, defending, and ignoring. It's hard to face the truth and make difficult course corrections when staying the same is the easiest multiple choice answer on the Scantron. Here's the story. You know how two of the biggest arcs in the entire Hebrew Bible are number one, how God led the Israelites out of slavery during the Exodus, and number two, how many generations later those same Israelites had their temple destroyed by Babylon and their leaders were carried off into exile? Exodus and exile, those are the two arcs. Well, today's text, Jeremiah 36, happens right before the second story arc, right before the exile. This prophet, Jeremiah, is God's last-ditch effort to convince the leaders to change course before tragedy hits. Kind of like the last years before we can't turn back the clock on climate change, or the last chance the good fairy gives to little bunny Fufu to stop scooping up the field mice and bopping them on the head before she turns him into a goon. Picture it. Jerusalem. Early 600s, late 500s BCE. A book about this time period named after the prophet Jeremiah will end up being the longest book in the Bible. The book of Psalms has more pages in it, but not as many words per page as Jeremiah because there's a lot of blank space with poetry. We will know more about the life and struggles of this prophet, Jeremiah, than we do about any of the other 50 plus Hebrew prophets. A prophet is someone who is believed to be in contact with the divine, to speak on behalf of God, one who serves as an intermediary delivering messages and teachings from a supernatural source. Sometimes I picture a prophet as the Zoltair fortune teller machine from the Tom Hanks movie Big, although I'm sure that's not quite a fair comparison. I have no idea if prophet was on the approved list of vocations that little girls and little boys aspired to be when they grew up. These days, thousands hold up poster boards and tweet proclamations of God's judgment against others. Are there thousands of prophets these days? Many have shown up at my own church or gatherings to proclaim God's scorn against me or my beloved church folk. But to be 100% transparent, I have done similar When you think you're on the right side of history and morality, it's hard not to shout it from the hilltops or TikTok it to the masses, 
especially when what's at stake are people's lives and health and safety. Jeremiah prophesied during the reigns of five different kings, five different presidencies, five different transfers of power. He saw the writing on the wall with nation warring against nation all around him and did his best to prevent what turned out to be inevitable, the collapse of the beloved society in which he was raised. Jeremiah was so vocal and relentless about the impending collapse that he got banned and blocked from temple gatherings. No longer allowed inside, he sent one of his best friends, who also happened to be a secretary, to read the words he dictated from Yahweh. It's worth remembering that written words were not as common as they are today. A scroll wasn't an everyday possession. It's not like every household had bookshelves filled with written words. There were no lending libraries on street corners with signs that said, take a book, leave a book. The written word was rare. Jeremiah called Baruch, his friend and secretary, to write down the words of God revealed to him and to read them aloud to the people of Judah, who were gathering from all over for an upcoming special fast day at the temple. I find it interesting that the words on the original scroll are not the point of this text, and thus not included in the beginning verses of chapter 36. Only what happened to the scroll was recorded. When the palace officials heard Jeremiah's words, God's words spoken from Baruch's mouth, they told Baruch, I'm so sorry. But there's no way around our next required step. Everyone here just heard what you said. So we're going to have to take this scroll and read it to the king. Let us give you some personal advice. Maybe you and Jeremiah should take a trip. Get out of town for a while if you know what, I, if you know what we mean. And they did. When the king was read section by section of the scroll, he took a pen knife cut it up into little pieces, and burned the scroll in his fireplace. This is one of the earliest recorded book, burn book burnings in order to suppress an ideology. As anticipated, the king ordered the arrest of Baruch and Jeremiah, but surprise, they were nowhere to be found. Good on them. The words on the scroll made the king uncomfortable and angry. Anger is often what uncomfortable looks like. The king wanted to delete, deny, block, hide, throw away, ignore, and burn the prophecy on the parchment. He wanted to undo the scathing words against his reign, undo the predicted gloom and forecasted failure. The cool thing about the word of God, though, is that it can't be permanently deleted. A few pages earlier in chapter 31, the text reports God saying, I will put my law in their minds and on their hearts. It's much harder to deny and ignore the word of God when it's emanating from inside of you. The second act of Jeremiah chapter 36 is when God commanded Jeremiah to do it all over again. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. This time, the text lingers over the scroll long enough for us to be able to read a part of the message. In addition to the original writing, there was an added section. It said this, 
Dear King, you dared to burn the scroll. Your offspring will not follow on this throne. Your dead body will be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. Your children and servants will be punished and disaster will befall the people of your kingdom. Sincerely, God. Ouch. But the warning didn't work. The king carried on. Jeremiah was imprisoned, not by this king, but by another. In fact, he was imprisoned at least five times during his life for speaking aloud the word of God. Jeremiah was eventually released. Jerusalem got sacked and the prophet traveled back there to speak to the people who'd left, been left behind in the torn down city, but they wouldn't even listen to him either. People are stubborn, in case you didn't know. Even in the face of impending doom, even when the big bad thing is happening, even when the tragedy has already occurred, people, am I right? Today is Christ the King Sunday on the Western liturgical Christian calendar. It's only been a thing for less than 100 years, first instituted by the Pope in 1925. This special day falls on the last Sunday of the Christian calendar. Next week, we start the Christian year all over again with the first Sunday of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Christ, the King. Kings don't always fare so well in our scriptures. They tend to order genocides, engage in adultery, ignore the word of God. And yet, five weeks from now, we're set to celebrate the birth of a baby who will die a state-sanctioned execution with a sign over his head that says King. Jesus models a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom if you will, where everyone is considered kinfolk or family. One that does not delete, deny, block, hide, throw away, or ignore those things which make us uncomfortable. Who or what is making you uncomfortable these days? Maybe it would be easier if I asked you what's not making you uncomfortable, since that list is probably shorter. My grief is making me uncomfortable, but I vow not to deny or hide from it. Folks who will not take measures to keep others safe from this virus are making me uncomfortable, but I will do my best not to ignore their humanity or worth in God's kingdom. And I vow to act up on behalf of the common good, even when it makes me uncomfortable, even when leaders will metaphorically burn my words of protest in their fireplaces. In the midst of the uncomfortable, Jeremiah persisted, and so did Baruch, and so did God. God persisted even when the people would not listen. God persisted in teaching them how to live a faithful life in the midst of tragedy, in the middle of exile. God persisted even when the big bad tragedy was over and they got to come home and rebuild. Jesus, Christ the King, 
persisted in showing us God's method of kingdomship, which is compassion over comfort, blessing over blocking, helping over hiding from, including over ignoring, and dining with, as opposed to deleting. However, the 2020 edition of Dining With includes instructions for outdoor socially distanced with a mask. Wash your hands, please, and thank you. We, humanity, have a habit of trying to avoid or get rid of things that make us uncomfortable. But following in the footsteps of Jesus, of the prophets, and of the best friends and secretaries of the prophets means not always burning everything up. It means persisting on behalf of the common good, on behalf of the kingdom of God, on behalf of Jesus the Christ. May it be so. Amen.